Mirana Tato. You're listening to Native Stories. Native Stories exist to share the voices of those connected to the land. Native Stories' vision is creating a resource for Pilina, connection to place. Native Stories aims to activate indigenous perspectives. Obihia Tauioa, my name is Bihia Wheeler. I am from Waia, Oahu, and I am now residing in Afraitu Morea Te Aumohi. My guest today is Marikura Fakataka Brightwell, a video producer and artist of Tahitian and Maori descent. Hello, Marikura. Yorana. <laughs> Kia ora. <laughs> Kia ora. Um, do you want to give Did us a want... little introduction about yourself, or should we just go into the questions? I suppose I better do the traditional Maori greeting. Noreda, ikotoe, ifakarongo mai nei te nei hotaka ko Marekura, fakataka Brightwell tokuingoa, yahu maio. I te whenua o tahiti nui, i te tuatahi, mai ngā kāwai whakahike o toki māma. Arā, whakawhitia tuki te moana nui ākiwa, ko Aotearoa te whenua. I reira te prakeau, i te rohe o te otūranga nui ākiwa, mai te tairāwhiti, he hononga tā mātou ki ngā iwi maha o Aotearoa, arā ko Ngāti Tōranga Tira, Ngāti Raukaua. Tūwhare toa ngā puhi hoki, engari ko te iwi whakawhiti, O tōku, kui a mai tūranga nui āki wa korongo whakāta, kei konei au e noho ana i tēnei wā no reira, tēnā tātou katoa. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's the first time I've heard you say that, even though I've known you for a while. So thank you for coming. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of an expectation here when you stand up and introduce yourself in any forum. Uh, you need to do that, like all the Maoris do that here. <laughs> like it's a, it's yeah. um, protocol, you're, like a cultural protocol. Yeah, it's protocol. protocol. You're, you're expected to introduce yourself in that way. It, I guess it allows people to situate where you're from and if you're related or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're, as you were saying, you are in Aotearoa, you're in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and that's on the East Coast, right, as um, some people call Gisborne. Well, we don't call it Gisborne. Uh, we oh, okay. well, we well, it's called it's called Gisborne. Um, it was renamed Gisborne uh, in the eighteen sixties after some guy. Um, but uh, the the name of this place is Turanga Nuiakiwa, and uh, the region we live in is called Te Tairafiti, which basically means the um, tide of the rising sun. Ah, okay. Um, so you are born and raised in this area? Uh, no. Your parents and grandparents are from there? Well, no, um, I was actually born in, in Tahiti. Oh. Yeah, I was, I was actually born in Tahiti. Um, my parents met in Tahiti. Uh, basically my grandfather was a traditional navigator and he had a vision of, of creating a, a traditional sailing canoe with traditional, methods and materials uh, called the Hawaiki Nui. Bit of a funny story. He came to Aotearoa one day and saw a documentary on my dad, who's a master carver, a Maori master carver here, and they were working on a a double-hulled canoe. And so they kind of met up and he was like, okay, come to Tahiti. And so that's how he met my mother. And I was born during the construction of the canoe. (laughs) And uh, we moved back here in 1985 when the canoe sailed from Tahiti to Aotearoa. And then I've grew up in in Tūranga. Um, Yeah. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. You were born as they were birthing a canoe as well. Yes. So I am actually an or under the under the Pākehā laws, I'm an immigrant to Aotearoa because I have a French passport. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but you've been living there um, for a while, and you've actually come back and forth to Tahiti. Well, uh, I mean, Tahiti is my birthplace, and I and I love it there, and and um, you know, I. 
lived there for a long period of time. I've just basically been ping-ponging back and forth. Um, so I was born here. We, we used to go back regularly as, as a family. And um, then when I got older, I used to just go back on holiday by myself and then moved there um, for about eight years in 2011. And just kind of last year started coming back towards um, Aotearoa, and um, I was supposed to go back for a few months uh, at the end of March, but then COVID changed everything. So I'm basically full-time here in, in, in Turanga, and I work for our our tribal group called uh, Rongo Fukata. So. Mm. <coughs> and um, so being, living in the two places, one, um, Aotearoa, which is a British uh, colony, and then living in... Tahiti, which is a French colony, where can you like give us any um, cultural differences that stood out to you that maybe other people don't see coming from the outside, but you as an insider to both these cultures are able to recognize? Oh, that's a, it's quite a long <laughs> question. <laughs> um, sure. So I guess what sticks out the, the most to me is that um, at, at the moment, I think people see Tahiti and Aotearoa as two separate countries, whereas they aren't. Um, we're all related. We, we all, all the Maori people come from Tahiti and, you know, the central part of the Pacific, which, you know, we recognize um, all the time, but because Tahitians speak French and Maori speak English, like I think the language barrier has, uh, created this this divide, but also um, interesting how the governments, the New Zealand government and the French government, actually apply kind of immigration laws and things like that, which also you know adds a barrier um, to accessing our our ancestral lands. I mean, if you think about it, before we were navigating back and forth, that was just kind of normal, um, and now we don't do that. And and most kind of Maori people have lost their connections, but funnily enough, I mean, they look the same. They have the same last name sometimes. Um, so that's kind of like the basic kind of idea of, of, of difference. But if you kind of drill down into the specifics, um, my personal view is, is that the British and, and the French uh, are two, you know, colonial powers. So, you know, they settled from Europe to conquer land. So they did it in a, in a very different way. Um, it came back to the same result, but the uh, the devil is in the details, I guess you, you, you can say. Um, so the, the British are very much, um, you know, you're the savages and we're the civilized ones and we're better than you. Whereas the French are more like, well, we're all the same, you know, you are French too, but we're better than you. So <laughs> what ends up happening is the Tahitians try to aspire to be French because they believe that they can be accepted in this kind of Euro centric society whereas they will never be uh we will never be that's that's kind of like a false goal whereas the british are very clear we're better and that's it <laughs> um so that kind of really comes across in the attitudes um of you know the, the french settlers and the british settlers respectively and i mean i've done this all around the world so it's not a new story uh, it's just the way they've applied the rules to to the different um, islands is, is, is quite interesting. And I guess as of like kind of recent history um, with the nuclear bombs, for example, in, in Tahiti, like uh, in, the, in the 90s, <laughs> um, if you think about it, it wasn't that long ago, um, it, it did allow for Tahiti to develop its in infrastructure. And I think that's the way a lot of people say, well, you know, it was worth it, but... In the end, what they don't realise is that it's actually completely ruined the environment, and and um, and so yeah, those colonial attitudes of I mean, why didn't they not? Why didn't they do that in France if it was so 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 good for the population? And and they they've coined this term, um, which I'm I'm sure you've heard is la bombe propre, which means the clean bomb, <laughs> to, for people to actually you know you know kind of buy into that to that propaganda um but yeah it's just france today and tahiti um control um the economy they control immigration infrastructure and education 
And uh, so we're supposed to be an autonomous nation in the sense that we control our own territories and our own, our own economy, but what we're only able to export really is tourism and, and, and pearls. And um, France kind of come in and, and subsidize the rest. And if you think about that, everybody that's kind of paid by the French government earns like three times, three or four times more than the, the a person that's earning uh, that, that that doesn't work for the government. So it's, it's all going towards this um, system where uh, the French not only control the territory, tell us what to do, who can come there, um, but also design the economy in such a way that they control the population and um, keep people under the poverty line, um, basically, so they can do what they want. And why do they want to do that? Uh, because Tahiti actually is the... the the oceans of Tahiti actually are, uh, expand um, the European landmass, so it's as big as Europe, and that allows France to be the second maritime power in the world. And, and the Central Pacific is actually quite strategic in terms of the region, so that's why they stick around in Tahiti. Um, the difference here in Aotearoa is that we have, um, I guess you'd call it a governor general that represents the British crown. Uh, so we, you know, we, we're an independent um, nation here in, in Aotearoa, but uh, we still have a representative from the British crown because we're under the Commonwealth um, still, but they, they're not as heavy handed um, as they were in the past. Um, but the attitudes prevail. The, the you know the white supremacist attitudes prevail here um, like everywhere else in the, in the colonial world I mean a lot of people would you know think that you know New Zealanders uh, are really nice and, and and they are but that's just another polite form of, of racism in the end um, we're still struggling really to to get them to the table to have a really real robust discussion around representation and this is where we're at you know 250 years after they arrived um, so in, in an essence um, we both live in colonial states we both live in in, in areas and land that that was colonized by by Europeans um, and there is this yearning to reconnect with Tahiti from Aotearoa and that's kind of what my mission is Oh my gosh. Yeah. There was a lot there. Thank you for sharing that. But yeah, I have a lot of responses. <laughs> for, like, first of all, when you're talking about the amounts that you hear as savages in French Polynesia, in my opinion, is much higher than Hawaii, where I'm from. Like, you would never say that word in English in Hawaii. And in 2020, it's just incredibly disrespectful. And it's like just thrown around here, like, like, it, well, as, as racism is normalized, it's thrown around like it's just normal that we're savages, which is, like, shocking. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, there are synonyms to that. Um, I think the mispronunciation of our names, it's, it just goes back to the, the, to the total disrespect for, for who we are in the end. Um, yeah. You know, whether it be the word savages or or any other slur they want to they use, it's all about power and control and and uh you you wonder like in 2020 you, you we're wondering why we're still having this conversation but we are i mean it's slowly dying but it's still there yeah no exactly i mean you you pointed out a lot of stuff that's going on in these places that i think maybe as outsiders don't have access to and especially because of um language differences and like you're saying Aotearoa wants to have this better connection with tahiti that's what you said right? but there's a lot of things that don't allow that to happen, right? Even though those are natural relationships yep. that have been happening for thousands of years. Of years. Yeah, well, where, where do you start? I mean, the, the French completely obliterated the, the traditional Tahitian oh, social structure. So here is a difference in Aotearoa is that we still function function as, as, as well, somewhat of a traditional structure where we have, you know, tribal groups or uh, we call it iwi. Interestingly, an interesting fact, though, is that the, the iwi tribal system actually was born out of the 
New Zealand land wars in the 1860s as a response to colonization. So we weren't actually organized as such um, before, but within iwi, so the Maori social structure is whānau, which is kind of your immediate family, hapu, which is the extended family, and then iwi, which is a collection of extended family groups. Um, previous to 1860, we were operating as hapu only with our own kind of territory. And we banded together against the British Crown in the 1860s to be able to, you know, try and keep the semblance of our <laughs> of our traditional life. Uh, whereas Tahiti, that was completely obl- obliterated. You, you know, when I stand up and I say, oh, I'm from here and I'm from here and I'm from this kind of kin group, you wouldn't get that kind of thing in Tahiti. Like, I'm not sure people actually know like um so that so you'd you'd move to some place and like it wouldn't even enter into your mind whether you're connected to that you know um in terms of your lineage or not whereas here it's very much in, in the forefront of your mind um so by doing that by by like the french by destroying those systems essentially in tahiti what they were able to, to retain is, is the language and what we were that some what we lost somewhat of that here. I mean, we've had a huge revival since the late seventies, um, but we kept all of the protocols. So we have funeral protocols, and we have like welcome protocols, and you know, like I mentioned earlier, when you stand up and introduce yourself, you're expected to follow some kind of a, a, a you know a, a system where you, you tell people where you're from, and that's everybody knows that. Where Tahiti, you don't do that. So. Um, my response to that is, where do you start? Where, do you, where does the connection start? If, if, if the social structures were still in place in Tahiti, then you can kind of pinpoint where you were from and where you can reconnect to, whereas that's not the case today. I don't think people in Tahiti can. And so it's our job as Māori from Aotearoa, like distant relations, to um, help them um, reinsert their traditional social structures and protocols. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like, um, if you want to pinpoint it to a word, like genealogy is not at the forefront here in Tahiti in ways that I've seen in other Pacific countries. And But that is a very French, deliberate French um, erasure in order to make a French identity, which is what you were saying earlier anyway. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? What what we have now in Tahiti are what we call association. <laughs> um, so you would um, <clears throat> create a charitable trust or or a non profit, and but you have to do it under the French guidelines. So you, there's a criteria there. You know, you have to have meetings every month, and you have to have a chairman, and you have to have these many people. And so, what you what they've what they've done is that they've forced us to adhere to their social structures in order to administer our cultural um, systems, exactly. which I think is problematic at the core. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, moving into your work uh, that you do that you've done in the quiet in the not too far past and currently do like you as an artist and the projects that you've done, does your way of like being connected to your identity and um, being a part of the Pacific, does that influence your projects and what you, the things that you work on, especially as like we were, we're going to talk about your photography, 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've had, I've had quite a yeah. I've had a little bit of a random life path if you but not so much if you you know believe in the signs. Um, so I mean I was born into a family that's heavily cultural. I mean my my dad was an activist in the seventies and got arrested and and my mother was all for kind of indigenous rights and and interestingly she brought she was brought up in in like a bougie type family situation in Tahiti where she was a half caste and that's something else that we don't really talk about in Tahiti uh, I'll touch on that before I move on um, well in Aotearoa like I, I just you don't if you're Maori then you're Maori you know there's no kind of sliding scale based on your other ethnic connections you know there's no like oh if you're like light skinned mm-hmm. then you must be in this category like that doesn't exist here um, we're in Tahiti, you, you immediately like asked 
what kind of like heritage you have, and then they categorize you as demi this. Demi means half in French. So you're either demi chinois or like Chinese or demi Tahitian or demi whatever. And, and that also allows um, for classism um, <laughs> in Tahiti to, to occur by 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 doing that um but you know so we so my mother was very much aware of that kind of phenomenon and she didn't want us to grow up in that in that way because i have family members who are really quite french leaning <laughs> um which i find annoying sometimes because they don't get it but that's fine that's just where, where they're at in their lives but um so having those influences in my life i guess uh allowed me to um understand what my mission or purpose was because I guess a lot a lot of the time in, in life you're, you're trying to search for what you really want to do and, and what really comes back for me is is this duty to to, to one's people and culture and especially safeguarding um, because recently like I mean I, get, I, I guess everybody gets frustrated but I've become increasingly frustrated when working with with like the European system because it completely disregards our own cultural science. And if you think about that, like without the, the colonial project has put the whole world about 250 years, maybe more, about 300 years behind. And so imagine, I mean, there, there are things that our ancestors could do in the past that European science cannot explain. It's the whole, well, the aliens built the pyramids, you know, buzz, because they couldn't do it kind of feeling. Um, and so I work I work currently with the Romofukata Iwi Trust, and we do a lot of research into our past. Um, last year, for example, I went to London with a delegation where we visited the likes of the British Museum, the Archaeological Museum, the Maritime Museum, the Natural History Museum, and we got to see a lot of ancient um, taonga is what we call it. So taonga artifacts, but we don't call them artifacts. We They're... they're, they're objects that are alive and that can teach us a lot of things. Um, so that was quite eye-opening for me, um, but more to the point is our ancestors were so far advanced, and if you think about the Pacific Ocean and the navigation capabilities, I mean, we were the best in the world. The Europeans actually copied our, our models. If you look at their kind of like high-tech sailing yachts, the catamaran design is directly from Polynesia or from the Pacific. Um but they've adapted it in a way that it that it's not functioning the way that we used to fun- have it function in the past. So, um, and coming back to my work is that with with my parents' influence in the cultural world, with my current experiences um, with like the European system, what I want to do is 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 take off this colonial veil, essentially, which is what I call the imperial disease. Um, that a lot of uh, European descendants have in every single part of the world um, and take that off and and um, make our people in particular realise not, uh, not only how awesome we were before but how awesome we are now and how we can take the learnings of the past and make it adaptable to now. It hasn't died. It's not old school. It's not something that, that can only function in the past. We can take these learnings and take and, and, and take it as far as, it, as we can here in, in the future. So that's what, what I really try and cover when I do photography and film is really touch on those themes and um, – you know, have that reveal itself to the world in a way that gets people thinking about um, themes of reconnection, themes of of revaluating our ancestral knowledge and to push past this colonial noise that's just become omnipresent and annoying. So we have a platform now. I mean, we're doing this, for example, hoping all the listeners in Hawaii, shout out to you guys, uh, understand what I'm what I'm talking about, and if we all connect together, then we can create this global movement of of indigenous um, power. And that sounds cheesy, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> no, we. I mean, we need it to survive. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have to really look at like the situation that we're in. We have to look at, like, if we want our cultures to survive, we have to perpetuate it and we have to make it current. 
and we have to grow the power that we need for our for our descendants you know yeah so i'll just share a little bit about the a bit more about the british museum um so rong of kata is uh, my grandmother's um tribal group here in turanga and and um Interestingly enough, last year we had the what the government calls the Cook Landing Commemorations. Um, uh, the name is Tuya Two Fifty, and so we were we were opposed to any type of celebration, obviously. Um, but uh, what happened was that we had the British High Commissioner, uh, Her Excellency Laura Clark, who came to deliver an expression of regret to our people. And a regret over the killings of our ancestors, um, you know, that Cook um, did when he w- when he arrived here in um, 1769. And so she stood up there at, a, at one of our marae and said that she regrets what happens. And although, I mean, people argue about the semantics, but what translated, what transpired in the end was was this connection to the British British museums that I, you know, that we any tribal group would struggle to get. Um, so we got the doors wide open and now we're working closely with them to repatriate our intellectual property. And see, I think that's a, that's a positive step forward. And we also got the museums to actually admit openly that they don't know anything about our artifacts or our, our tonga and that we they need us to fill in the gaps. So we're negotiating a trade deal with them um, currently uh, about – <clears throat> specifically uh, uh, called the, oh, it's called the knowledge economy but it's it's about models models of being and so that's quite an exciting an exciting project um, and that's how we can kind of repatriate that knowledge and then um, start filtering it through the next generations and create this hub in this database a digital database where people can access and understand their own culture and themselves because once they understand themselves and the sky's the limit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm reflecting on what you said. No, it's all good stuff. It's Sorry, good. I'm, just, I'm just rambling <laughs> it. But you're right. <laughs> I'm like, there's a lot of stuff in there. Okay, let's, let's, let's go through it. Um, the identity. Yeah, let's, the identity super important. Exactly. Um, working with museums, how does that feel? As so, you're talking about your, which congratulations, you're getting a trade with um, some kind of agreement with museums in the Europe. In Europe, no. Okay, so um, the trade agreement is directly with the British government. What what um, what ended up happening is that the New Zealand government were not really forthcoming. Uh, with this type of initiative, and so we just bypassed them and went straight to the to the British government. So basically, Brit, you know, Britain or, is going to exit the European Union very soon. Um, so Brexit has caused them to look for other economic partners around the world, and uh, one of them is Indigenous peoples, uh, which is which is interesting. Which is interesting because so, so they've asked us to kind of like. Um, you know, formulate a, 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 an MOU with them, but also look at how uh-huh. we how we can approach other indigenous peoples. It it it's, it comes back to the science because again, they are unable to understand our science, so they need us for it. So yeah, we do need to be a little bit careful about the motives, but um, you know, I think we we're, we're in- intelligent enough to to safeguard that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 directly with the British government and with in particular with the Ministry of Heritage and Culture who control all the museums and all the institutions there. I actually, it's really funny. Yeah, it's fun, yeah. a connection to Tahiti, and I mean, I won't go into detail. But um, one of what Captain Cook, when he was in Tahiti, he took a he took um, uh, he took an object. Well, it's a carving of two figures and an animal, which looks like a dog or a pig. And um, so we think it was part of a doorway. So it was about 100 years old before Cook took it um, in the 1750s. And so the British um, 
Museum of Archaeology have that currently in its and and it's their logo. They've taken it as their logo. And uh, when I was there, I asked I asked the director. Uh, I was like, "Well, how come that's your logo?" And he, and his response was, "Well, the Tahitian people don't mind." So I think he's liaised with people from from the uh, Tahitian Museum. Um, and I'm not sure how that worked out, but um, and I'm not knocking the museum. Like they were really really forthcoming and and very very friendly and they had a lot of information for us but it's these mm. kinds of attitudes that you're just kind of like well we're not there yet <laughs> mm. and and yeah i mean and you're talking about this is written right yeah if you can go on their their, their website yeah yeah so it's a totally different the, well britain Brit, the british interesting interesting fact i found out is that tahiti is actually one of the few indigenous countries that kept most of the artifacts but the other well the, the other significant portion is actually in london <laughs> and there were a lot of when i when we went over there not only were we able to see the collection that pertaining to us specifically, but there were a lot of Tahitian artifacts. Mm. Well, we were a, Tahiti was a French English protectorate right before mm. coming French. So that might be one reason, but now I have to go to the British Museum. Gives me a reason to go, I guess. Yeah, when you hear the Tahitians, though, it's so, it's so funny how you hear the Tahitians go, lucky the French colonized us. I'm like, how? Why are we lucky? <laughs> <laughs> We're not, I wouldn't say lucky. <laughs> well, um, anyway, I hear French people mostly say that. I think we maybe we have different French okay. groups. <laughs> <laughs> I even heard one, I've even heard Tahitians say, "Well, lucky they dropped the bombs because then we got good roads." Like this is ridiculous. This is how well the propaganda works. Oh, but yeah. if you if you choke hold the you know, if you get, if you put the population to an economic chokehold, you can do anything you want, which is what the French do in Tahiti. Yeah, and if you control anyway. if you control their education system, which comes directly from Paris, then yes, you can definitely control the way they are thinking about things as well, <laughs> and themselves. Yep. Yeah. So, as we're talking about Tahiti, do you want to tell us a little bit about your Poimoana project that you were doing here in Tahiti as well? Yeah, so I mean, uh, going back to my mission in life to, um, you know, live in, live in the cultural world because I think it's really cool. Um, is in 2016, um, what prior to 2016, like so from 2013 to 2016, I was or to, to 2015, from 2013 to 2015, I was living in Bora Bora. So I moved there for work and other such things. And then I moved back in 2016 and joined the Otahitiye, uh, Oritahiti group. Um, and there I met uh, their lead choreographer who was Poimoana. And we got chatting because I got this um, job to make Tahitian dance videos. So I was looking for a dancer and then I thought she was amazing. And I didn't know her at the time. I was just one of the, you know, dancers. Cause if you think about the Haver and that, like there's about 200 people in the group, so you don't know everybody. Um, so I just approached her and I said, Hey, I've got this job. Are you interested? And she was a little bit wary at the beginning. And then we kind of had a discussion and then we found out that we were actually related quite closely. <laughs> her, um, great grandfather is my grandfather's brother <laughs> um and so yeah we we um we started collaborating on this project and that that turned into something else and so we launched the tahitian um da a tahitian dance company called poimoana tahitian dance expert in 2017 and and started touring the world um so we were um <clears throat> You know, our, our goal really at the beginning was uh, we had this word called kaupapa, and kaupapa in Maori means the the essence or the the purpose of something. So every time you ask a Maori person, you know, to do something, 
their first question would be, "What is the kopapa?" So they just want to know what the what the driving essence is of of the, of the project. And so our kopapa was to reinstill cultural value in the Tahitian dance scene. Um, we had seen it over the last kind of decade since Tahitian dance groups were, were touring around the world. Uh, we had seen all these Tahitian dance groups pop up all over the world, and um, the majority were taught by non-Tahitians. And um, some of the uh, material we were seeing um, we thought was questionable. And if you think about the internet and how it evolved in Tahiti, I mean, it really only kind of came, you know, everybody got readily ready access to internet around 2010. <laughs> um, prior to that, it wasn't like a, not, not everybody had, had internet. So um, in a sense, we were kind of none the wiser of what was going on overseas. And then when internet really came into full full force, we, we realized the extent of it. And there were these huge dance groups all across the world. And so point one and I said, right, um, we want to change that. We want, we want to um, go and educate these people on how to do things correctly in a cultural way. And so um, our first tour was in Aotearoa in uh, Australia, Sydney. Um, so we went there and we were invited by one of our really close friends, Tanya Wursig, who does Tahitian portraits. And interesting because a lot of people think she's an appropriator. And, I mean, I've collaborated with her several on several different projects and, you know, she's – learning a lot along the way and the way she portrays uh, her portraits um, have a message in itself. But, you know, I'll let her speak about that. Um, yeah, so she invited us to Sydney and then from then on we got invites all around the world. So we were traveling for like two years. Every three months we'd be in a different country and we'd be doing Tahitian dance classes um, in, in an attempt to, to save the culture, if you want. Around so we would world. go there. We, every country. Around the world. In every country. Um, so the biggest countries that are consumers of Ori Tahiti, uh, the United States, Japan, and Mexico. And um, so we were a little bit naive in the beginning. We didn't, none of us had any kind of international business experience or anything. So we were kind of doing things a bit ad hoc. Um, we both decided to go all in and quit our jobs and do it full time. And so that was a good run for two years. But after two years, we we realized how unsustainable the project was uh, for the very reason we created it. So that was a little bit disappointing to come to, to, to a point where we, where we realized that the majority of, of, of um, Ori Tahiti dancers around the world don't actually care. All they want to do is look pretty. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, that was what was fostered for like kind of the 10 years Right. In the two, you know, early two thousands to two thousand and ten, that was kind of what was, what was projected, and and um, it's not quite, you know, the foreigners or people who aren't Tahitian. It's not quite their fault. <laughs> um, there were Tahitian groups and individuals going overseas and teaching them in a certain way, so they would have this system in place for for a decade, and they thought that that was it, and they thought they were doing really well, and they were being respectful. Um, but then we, we came on the scene, we offered a different product, which was, you know, diving into the culture. We did all the classes in the Tahitian language. So it was kind of, and, and we, we had more noise. So it was a kind of a sensory experience. It wasn't, you weren't just there to shake your bum. You were actually there to learn something, learn a cultural concept. Uh, we partnered, partnered with writers from Tahiti. Uh, we got original music from, from Tahiti. So it was all kind of this way of, of, of valuing, um, the Tahitian culture. And, um, so what we ended up having to do in the end is pandering to the market, which we thought was outrageous because they should be, you know, accepting, you know, the, the culture as it is and not trying to tra- change it. So what, what's dangerous about that is we've seen in the last kind of few years this kind of Hollywood Hollywoodization of Tahitian dancing, and it's coming across in, in the Hava Festival 
with the like you know oh, the the glam makeup and 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 the and the dance move and the flashy dance moves and choreography, which have always I mean the flashy moves and choreography have always been there. If you've if you've ever been to the Haver, it's all about being flamboyant. But what, what what the concern was is that the international trends were filtering into the Tahitian dance scene in Tahiti itself and then altering altering the um the, the composition of the dance itself, the core of the dance itself. The Kopapa? Um, yeah, it was, yeah. So so young Tahitian, instead of kind of learning something, they would like more like to do it like this. So if you look at the TikTok kind of phenomenon and and like the kind of Brazilian dance beats and, and the, 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 the Hollywood-like style videos. And, and so those are the things that started popping up around late kind of 2015, 2016, 2017. And in 2009, like last year at the Haver, you saw those trends that were alive with some of the dance group adopting these these, these methods of, of flashiness um, that w- weren't really Tahitian. So um, in the end, Point One and I decided to to stop um, for a couple of reasons. One is she uh, just had her baby boy, so she she got pregnant. Um, Yay, and the second one was we just – yeah, she, she, um, Tane Matea is his name, and he's the cutest baby in the world. Uh, he'll be one soon, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so so a couple of reasons she she had baby, and the second thing is we just we just got so kind of disillusioned. I mean, we were getting boycotted left, right, and center from all different dance groups around the world because essentially there, there's what we call a, a mafia system that exists. <laughs> where the <laughs> Sorry, it is Tahiti after all. That's a, a common story in many different that is a com- different industries. <laughs> oh, absolutely! But the, the the danger here is that it's a it's directly affecting a, a a cultural like a core cultural component. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I understand that people get influenced by other things, and that's fine. But when it starts changing the core, and what I mean by that is that there is a meaning behind Tahitian dance. It's ancestral. You know, it's not just about looking cool and looking flash. And that's what was starting to filter through. It's like people stopped caring about the meaning and just want to look good. Uh, and that was a direct influence of, of of outsiders doing our dance. So I think it's up to Tahiti or <laughs> the dance group um, people to um, recognise that as, as as something that needs to be dealt with, and then all the leaders of the dance groups around the world to um, come in and do things right. I mean, there are some people that do, but the majority don't, and that's where we kind of left that project. Uh, but we we had a we had a like a lot of amazing experiences um, during those two years. I mean, traveling every three months to different continents was just like the travel itself. Meeting a lot of great people and um, spreading our message. And I think that's kind of what I take away from it. And last year, um, to, to to end it off, because I ended up moving here, but um, to end off our kind of collaboration. Um, for the time being, we we made a a dance film. So it's called uh, Te Va'a, Va'a Matena, and it's about uh, what it, it is. It's Tahitian dance using Tahitian dance as a vehicle to pr- portray our colonial history in Tahiti, which is something that's quite innovative. There, people don't talk about colonization, so this was a way of showing that. Um, so it's in three parts. The first part was showing the harmony of nature and and how we interacted with our with with <clears throat> with our land the second one is about a, the violent overthrow uh, of the mission you know from the missionaries and the french government and also their their tahitian um, friendlies and the last one was about the contemporary society we live in here that's kind of born out of the nuclear bomb all this tourism and 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 I mean it's painful to watch all the all the all the Tahitian um, tourism uh, advertising uh, you know advertising because I, I remember when I was in Bora Bora and I was filming um, different ads for different um, tourism ventures and all the people had to be white and so again we're pan uh, you know in the videos because 
that means that they're tourists. And so we have uh, predominantly American tourists that come to Tahiti. That's probably the biggest market. Um, And so they had to look white because obviously, you know, they control all the world's resources and get the better jobs in their countries, et cetera. So they had the money to spend because Tahiti is the most expensive island in the world. And so they'd come over and, and, and so they'd have, they'd have Tahitian weddings. And so we, we'd include all the cultural matter into the advertisement, but the people who were on the yachts and then the bungalows always were always white. So that was really, and you know, I was, I, I admit I was part, I was a part of that because, you know, it was for me the job at the time. But when I started realizing, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like this is, this is wrong. We need to change the image. But that's what, that's what kind of, tourism is like here um i mean in tahiti at the moment yeah. it's just pandering really to the pandering to the economic majority um who come to our our islands and then so we're having to to um do things the way they like in order to you know be able to pay for our rent mm-hmm. and so we're in this kind of cycle of cultural prostitution and and um, hopefully, hopefully, COVID will um, address that. Yeah, I mean, I would love to. I am. Um, uh, yeah, we're selling, continuing to sell our culture, the paradise image, right? Tahiti's like the ultimate paradise in so many different ways. And one way is tourism and to make minimum wage. Most of these people are making minimum wage when they're doing this, like with these hotel workers and et cetera. And um, well, yeah. yeah. Well, if you think about if you think about it, like so, Tahiti, the Tahitian government um, have like a um, a branch um, called Tahiti Tourism, and they look after all the kind of tourism campaigns, and and they lobby overseas um, at different functions for people to come to Tahiti. Um, but their budget is determined on uh, how many tourists come per year. So basically, when you come to Tahiti, you pay like, you know, two dollars uh, per stay at any hotel, and then the hotels actually um, give that money to the government, and that becomes a Tahiti tourism budget. And so um, that's problematic in itself because then the hotels hold all the power, and obviously none of the money stays in Tahiti; it goes offshore. But they are able to dictate where Tahiti tourism, um, you know. Sh- that where their focus is, focus is, and it's usually in the five star luxury hotels in Bora Bora, which is why ninety nine percent of people that come to Tahiti go there because they they've got lobby groups and advertising for people to go there. But I mean, that's what it's an amazing island. I've, I lived there for two years. It was it was really awesome. But there are so many more, and 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 the the whole like you know the the European couple jumping off a, a pontoon into the clear blue waters. I mean. You know, I mean, it doesn't have it. I guess have its place on the tourism market, but um, that just goes to show why we do the things we do. It's purely economic, and as you were saying, um, if you're a hotel worker, just to get into the specifics, I mean, you're earning between maybe, maybe I'd say five hundred and up to thirteen hundred dollars a month, um, US. And um, if you were a teacher that works for the French um, education system, you get $4,000 a month. And so therein lies the difference. Um, And why we are being forced to transform our culture, to pander to the the European tourism mass, because it's about survival. I mean, now, I mean, it gets worse every year. Like, um, you know, there have been talks for the last couple of years about social security and how that's going to continue because um, all the big wealthy investors obviously aren't investing in our people. The French government are certainly not investing in our people. They like it the way it is. Um, people are surviving, you know, with a, uh, let's say, a household of like maybe three families on maybe $1,000 a month. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. Exactly. That's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, just to bring it back around as we're kind of running out of time, thank you for sharing your already your viewpoints on okay. these, these places that you've lived and the experiences you've gone through. And 
your projects, placing you in Tahiti and Bora Bora and um, Aotearoa and Britain and Japan, you know, this worldwide uh, experiences you've had. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's inspiring. And I hope that you continue and that um, people are listening and can learn um, maybe some different points of views and that actually what I want to do anyway is try to, since we are portrayed so much in that paradise sort of image, having these conversations with you where we get to talk about these things is really meaningful to me to to bring that to other to bring that to outsiders and let them know that there's there's things going on in Tahiti there's things going on in Aotearoa people are working towards things and so thank you again any last thoughts you wish to share with us here on native stories <laughs> well just uh, i guess um just thank you for for having me on the show, on the show, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. Um, I've always got a big mouth when we're talking to my friends about these issues, so I think you know Vehia was like, "Oh, you'd be perfect for the show." But um, no, it's it's just good to air, I guess, my thoughts on on certain subjects, and I see a lot of parallels around the Pacific. And in particular in Hawaii, I just want to encourage everybody in Hawaii to keep going. <laughs> oh. And um, uh, and that also that I think Aotearoa, I mean, we have a lot of mechanisms here that we can um, draw, draw on to help our people. But in Tahiti, they don't have those. Um, I'd encourage all our Pacific um, brothers and sisters to, to, to help Tahiti. Tahiti is our cultural and spiritual birthplace. Um but we, they need a lot of help, um, especially at the moment. And so if, you know, I know that my friend Vihia has, has her nonprofit. Um, so projects like the environmental project and cultural projects need to be supported um, by all of us on the outside um, because the French are destroying them. <laughs> and so we just need to be mindful of, mindful of that and help them out. Uh, yes, perfectly put. Exactly, exactly what is going on. Thank you for the shout out. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, mahalo Nui for sharing your story with, here as a, with us here at Native Stories. Maru, Marikuro. If you all want to further connect with us, Native Stories, please do. Follow us on Facebook, search Native Stories for daily updates on Native Kainmea or things. Please download our mobile app and listen to us all on streaming podcast outlets. Just search Native Stories. Make sure you share us with your ohana, hoapili, or friends, lovers, and whoever you like. Native Stories prides ourselves in being your resource of truth-telling and indigenous knowledge, and the more you share, the more people will know and be informed. Sending plenty aloha to you all out there. Mahalo for tuning in. You can say bye, too, if you want. Maruru ya Peace.